Hi, Victoria. Love your podcast, by the way. I had a question that maybe you can help me with or point out some good resources. I just found out I will be teaching on a cart next year. Our school is getting bigger and there's no space for me nor the art teacher next year. We will be opening up a new building to expand our campus. This will take two years though. Would you have any tips or know of resources I can go to? Thank you again. This is another example of just interesting timing with a question because right after that question came in from Crystal, I had another question come in from a colleague in the planning binder, Christina, and she said, I need help planning for at least half a year on a cart. I know I will start that way and push into classrooms. Thanks so much for all the help. So let's start exploring some possible answers to both of these questions in this episode. I'm going to say start to explore because this is a huge, gigantic topic. And I know that many educators had their first time on a cart this past year. And so there are a lot of resources out there, a lot of brand new resources, a lot of brand new uh, experts in this. And so as you are listening If something kind of comes to your mind, like pops into your head, like, oh, actually, this is a really helpful tip as well. Don't forget this. I think it would be really beneficial to everyone if you could share some of those expertise tips and guidelines and perspectives that you have as a listener uh, about this particular topic. So in your show notes, there is a link. It'll say something like, find the show notes here. And if you click that link, you're going to be taken to a specific post with just the show notes for this uh, specific episode. And at the bottom, there is a place for you to add comments. There is absolutely no way that I will share every tip, every perspective, every good thing to keep in mind in this episode. So I think that as a community, if we can continue this conversation for just anyone listening who wants to hear some expertise from other perspectives, I think that would be really helpful. So with that said, let's jump in. I would like to divide this conversation up into logistics and then some planning ideas and then just some, you know, moving forward uh, resources kind of thing. Because this first question from Crystal is just kind of general, like, oh, I just figured out that I am going to be on a cart. And if you have ever been told that you are going to be mobile, uh, that might have been your first response as well. It certainly was for me. And then from my colleague in the planning binder, Christina, her question is more specifically about planning. I need help planning for at least half a year on a cart. So let's divide it kind of that way. Number one, the very first thing that I want to make sure you hear someone say is you can do this. This will be different. It will not be ideal. It will not be what we want to continue in our future teaching years. Most likely some people feel differently, but most likely this is not an ideal scenario and it's not one that we would choose for ourselves. But I want to make sure you hear someone say, you can do this. You are a resilient music teacher with lots of creative ideas, lots of creative uh, ways to use your musical and your pedagogical expertise. This is a new box and we get to think about how we can transform our everyday teaching practices to fit within these new parameters. This is a creative challenge, but you are a creative person. You can do this. 
All right. With that said, let's jump into some logistics. The very first thing is just communication with your administration about having somewhere to land. Specifically for Crystal, there is an expectation that in a few years, there's going to be a new building because the campus is growing. And that's a really, really good thing. Because there is some new physical developments in the school coming up, that's good evidence that your administration is on board for the arts. It's just that right now, the way the cookie has crumbled, we are... um, temporary nomads, (laughs) you and your art teacher, until you have your beautiful new building. So when we have a conversation with a principal, we want to make sure that we have somewhere in the building that we can land. We need somewhere to put uh, a bag, a backpack, a purse, our coffee. We need somewhere to keep papers. We need somewhere to keep all of the instruments that are currently in our classrooms. We need a place to sit in silence and lesson plan, all of those things. We need somewhere to land. And if that is not something on your administrator's mind, it is your responsibility to very respectfully put it in the front of their mind. Again, you're going to have this conversation respectfully, but we do need somewhere to land. If that does not happen for whatever reason. And I know that there are many situations where the landing point that your administration is able to offer you is not an ideal situation. So even if it is your car, you are going to have a bin of water bottles and granola bars or whatever other snack of your choice. You're going to keep that bin in your car. And if you decide that your car is your landing place, that's fine. Cause guess what? You can close the doors and you can sit there and you can breathe for seven minutes and you'll have those uh, seven minutes of breath that will keep you going throughout the day. So if you decide that your landing place is your car, great. We can make that work. I would recommend that you have some water, water, some sort of food, and that you just keep the front seat clean. Even if you're not like a clean car person, I I get that. (laughs) But having the front seat clean, at least, you know, a disaster all the way in the back. But the front seat is where you are coming to rest to have a moment of silence before you get back up on your cart journey throughout the school. When it's time to actually stack our cart with things that we use for our actual lessons, we are going to take a KonMari approach. We are going to uh, take everything out of the classroom mentally, or perhaps you've already done it physically. Everything leaves the classroom. And then you say, I want to choose my very favorite elements of this classroom. What are my favorite things? The things I enjoy using the most. Those are the things that we're going to find a way to use on the cart. So this approach is not Googling what should I add to my cart? I'm teaching on a cart. What should I add? Because someone's list is going to be different than your list, right? Like maybe they use puppets. You don't use puppets. Maybe they use a lot of picture books. You're not that into picture books, whatever it is. So we are going to take this different approach. And regardless of how you feel on the minimalist, maximalist debate, uh, we can take this approach of pretending there is nothing. Everything is gone. Everything is gone. You're starting with a totally blank slate. What are those things that you use all the time that you always go to? You want to make sure that you have those few 
thing. So it's just a different uh, way of thinking. Instead of starting with a big classroom full of stuff and saying, okay, what can I take onto the cart? You start with nothing and build it from there. It's just like a different point of view. For me, I was definitely interested in using a ball. I needed a ball for all sorts of things, all sorts of games, movement activities, uh, you name it. I wanted rhythm sticks, I wanted finger symbols, and I had a glockenspiel that I carried around. You probably, if you are on a cart, you probably have room for a lot more than that. But just coming at it with an approach of your biggest hits in your classroom. That's a great way to approach it. So then when it's actually time to go into the classrooms, I would encourage you to map your route from class to class and get some clarity on your schedule because you might find, and your principal might find as well, that the time you have between classes actually is not realistic in terms of packing up and traveling to perhaps the other side of campus or whatever it is. So this goes in the category of communication with administration. We just want to make sure that you have walked the space within the amount of time that you have to move from class A to class B. Because just the way schedules work, sometimes your whoever makes the schedule, sometimes they have taken that into consideration and sometimes they have not. What we don't want to do is wait to the first day of school where everything is a disaster and you are late all the time. And then we have to go backwards and try to find a solution. So mapping your route is important so that you don't end up like me and wandering the campus looking for the correct classroom that I'm supposed to be in because I've just realized I actually do not spend a lot of time in this part of the building. I'm in my own little world over on my side of the building and now I'm five minutes late and I don't know where I'm supposed to go. Do as I say, not as I do. Another thing along those same lines is previewing the classrooms ahead of time because we want to know what kind of space we are working with. There are, you know, different teachers with different personalities and we are the guest in their space. And sometimes teachers have the personalities of, oh, let them run free. We have flexible seating. We do lots of project-based learning. We don't really have desks. Yay. And sometimes teachers are still in the mindset of the whole classroom is taken up with rows of desks and the physical space is very structured in that sense. And then sometimes, you know, there's just not a lot of space to move around. The nice thing is most classrooms do have a space where students gather for some sort of communal activity, whether that is a morning meeting or a story time or you know a, a math lesson or something like that. And especially with those younger grades, you're going to have in, in so many situations, you're going to have something like a rug where students are used to coming to gather for that uh, collaborative learning time in the classroom. And for me, that was a really good space to teach music because students were used to sitting on the floor and they sat on the floor in my teaching as well. We could have a little bit more flexibility with space. And then I uh, just do not have a lot of use for desks <laughs> in my teaching. And so that was a convenient thing. Now, with some sorts of social distancing requirements, I know that is not going to be the case for everyone. And so if you are you know, behind your desks for the beginning of the year, for however long this lasts, uh, then we can make that work as well. But if it's an option available to you, it's a great idea to have students in their collaborative learning spaces. 
And you might find that there is actually more space to move around than you realized. And the nice thing is that students in that space are already used to maneuvering around these desks and other obstacles that we probably wouldn't have inside the music room. So you might be surprised to find that there's actually more space than you are realizing. Again, depending on the situation and what restrictions you're working with and the size of the classroom and things like that. That leads into the next thing. So first, we want to have a place to land. We're going to KonMari our cart. We are going to map our route and preview the classrooms. And then we want to think about our communication with the classroom teachers, with our colleagues in the general education space, very specifically. Because we are definitely displaced from our teaching spaces, and that is rough. But it is also entirely likely that your classroom teacher, your general ed teacher, is kind of in a similar situation as you. They are being displaced when you come into the room, and that's a good way to actually start the conversation. Uh, Will that teacher be in the room while you're teaching, or are they going to go into another space? Most of the time, I have found that teachers actually prefer to go into the storage closet and sit there in silence as opposed to being in the room as you are teaching. I've had it both ways. I absolutely prefer the classroom teacher not being in the room with you, but it's good to set those expectations uh, at the beginning so that no one is kind of confused about the role when we pass off from one teacher to us being the teacher. So we want that communication to be uh, upfront and honest and respectful and with a an air of collaboration so that we are both supporting each other equally in this transition. Another thing to have a conversation about is uh, going back to the physical space and having movement opportunities in the physical space, things like that. Uh, do those teachers have any specific routines or practices that we can honor as we are a guest in their space? Now, here's the distinction and the little dance that we are going to do. I am a certified teacher. I am a real teacher in the same way that the colleague I'm talking to, this general ed teacher, is a real teacher, a certified teacher. We are equals. I am not a substitute. That said, I am a guest in this teacher's space. And so I want to lead this conversation with empathy. And I want to be the first one to ask, how can I honor your routines or specific practices that you have in place in your learning space so that there is a nice transition from one educational leader to the next, from the classroom teacher to me? Along those same lines, I, while I am not a substitute, I will appear to be a substitute to some of the students. And that is just because I am a new teacher in their old teacher's space. I am a new teacher in their regular teacher's space. That is a very very similar situation to how those students are going to perceive a substitute. So when those students test boundaries, as they always do, as we can expect them to do every single class, because that's what kids are good at and that's what kids are supposed to do, I will not be in the position to say, oh, are you allowed to go touch that on the wall? Oh, are you allowed to go, um, you know, sit in that chair, all of those things. So we just want to make sure that we are being good stewards of the classroom when we are a guest in that space. And again, we are going to be the ones to offer empathy 
first in that conversation. We're not going to wait for the teacher to say, oh, I'll, I'll just leave for you and you can have the computer. We are going to say first, what routines and practices, what classroom uh, setup procedures do you have that I can honor? Leading with empathy. Okay, that leads us into something even more fun. And this is all under the umbrella of how can we collaborate with teachers? Um, are there any academic projects coming up that we can collaborate on? How can I support you in the learning that you are trying to facilitate in your classroom? And that can lead to some really, really fun things. Because when teachers choose not to leave, when they choose to just sit quietly in the corner as you are teaching, that gives them some insight into one version of the music education space, the music education sphere. And when they see you offering creative prompts, when they see you doing compositions, when they see you doing group work, when they see you uh, working on standard Western notation, when they see you doing all of these collaborative games and all this stuff, all of this regular music stuff, that can spark something in the classroom teacher's brain to go, oh wow, what they're doing in music class is really cool. This is totally different from how I grew up in elementary music. I think that I can make some connections between musical learning and geography or musical learning and social studies. These connections come up when we allow that space for us to see what the other colleague is doing in their learning environment. The very last thing that I want to talk about in terms of logistics is how we can create a new learning environment from general ed to the music room. If you have a warm-up routine that you do in your regular teaching, that is absolutely the way to go. Something that signals to students that this is a musical time where your musical contribution is valuable, where your musical voice is valued. You have a part to play in this ensemble. You are a valued member of this musical ensemble. Whatever your morning routine is, not morning routine, your opening routine is that supports that uh, message. That is what we still want to keep even when we are teaching within this new set of parameters. The music program at a school certainly serves artistic and educational and social and cultural functions, but we also serve logistical functions. And this is not something that makes me defensive to talk about uh, this, this idea of I'm a music teacher. I'm not here to cover your planning. Well, I, yes, I am a music teacher and yes, of course I'm here to cover your planning in the same way that you are a math teacher and you are here to cover my planning. And that's how the school works. We support each other that way. One function of the specialist schedule is truly that it gives teachers a break. Teachers deserve a break. We know that as teachers. Another function is that it gives students a new space to learn. It gives them a opportunity, an opportunity to move their bodies from one location to the other. So how can we kind of mirror that in this new setup? How can we still serve one of the logistical functions of a specialist program while still being in that general education space. One great option that you can consider is if it works with your school schedule and everything like that, having students line up outside and then maybe you walk from one end of the hallway to the other and back into the music room to start your routine. It's very difficult for students to be sitting at their desk working on a writing assignment and then you come in and students haven't had a break. They haven't had a transition opportunity from one learning environment to the next. So if we can create some 
some sort of transition that functions as an artistic transition and one of the logistic functions of the music program. That can be one way that we support our colleagues and the students. And then same thing when it's time to leave the music classroom. Is there a way to transfer from music land back to math land? So in terms of logistics, we are going to find somewhere to land that's quiet and somewhat orderly. We are going to choose the things to put on our cart that, uh, in the words of this specific line of decluttering, uh, spark joy, the things that we enjoy using the most. We are going to map our route and preview the classrooms, and then we're going to think about how can we collaborate with the teachers there. And along those same lines, how can we create a learning environment that is a transition? How can we transition from a general ed space to that same space being magically transformed into a music room? So all of those have to do with logistics. Again, this is not the only set of logistics. There are many more out there. So if you click that link and want to leave a comment, I know that many educators would be grateful to read some of your tips in this conversation. All right, friends, let's transition to talking about planning because this is for some of us even more of kind of a stressor than the logistics side of it. Thinking about how are we going to teach if we don't have access to instruments? How are we going to teach if we cannot play a circle game or a movement activity that we would in a normal school year? This is is another example of where we can really rely on our colleagues because so many teachers are brand new experts in teaching on a cart, are brand new experts in teaching with a new set of parameters and a new area of creativity prompts <laughs> that uh, we certainly did not ask for, but we have done very well with this year. And as a very quick aside, regardless of how you feel this year went as far as your teaching effectiveness, you are a triumph. You did a fabulous job. It does not matter what you achieved or didn't achieve in terms of your formal curriculum. You achieved enough this year. All right. When we plan for teaching and being a mobile teacher, in some ways, this is exactly the same planning process that we have always done. In other ways, it's going to feel completely different. So let's talk about the ways that planning has not changed at all. Nothing about the planning approach is going to change. We're just changing the parameters for the actual day-to-day -day lessons. But again, the same way we would plan is to start with the main purpose of the activity. We are not going to do a game just for fun, unless the main purpose of the activity is to do something just for fun. So as we plan, we're going to decide on the purpose of the activity. This is going to be directly tied to our long range planning goals. And so if you have not yet figured out what your big picture maps are for the year, that would be a great place to start because those foundational documents are going to work. Whether you are in your classroom with beautiful windows and a whole set of instruments, or if you are in a second grade general classroom and you are trying to figure out how to move behind the desks. That document, those big foundational planning documents are going to make planning for a music classroom and a general ed classroom much, much easier. So as we plan, we're going to decide on the purpose of the activity. 
Around this time last year, I became familiar with an approach to teaching and planning called resilient pedagogy. And one of the ideas in resilient pedagogy is that we are going to plan once for three situations. We are going to plan one time for in-person and virtual and hybrid. I know that this uh, conversation specifically about, you know, hybrid or in-person or distance, I know that is outside the parameters of this specific conversation, but I do find that it is applicable to in a music classroom versus in a general classroom and planning once for both of those situations. Because our big picture goals are not going to be dependent on the mode of teaching. Our big picture goals are going to remain consistent. It's just how we actualize those goals that we are going to tweak. So that's the connection that I see here with this particular mode of planning called resilient pedagogy. Let's look at some really practical applications of this resilient pedagogy idea, because I know it can be frustrating for someone to be like, I know I have the solution, just plan once. And you're like, okay, that does not help me at all. So let's look at some options for younger elementary, let's say maybe around um, first grade, maybe kindergarten, depending on your curriculum. Let's look for something around second grade, and then let's look at something somewhere around fourth grade. All of these things can be achieved in a general classroom, like a second grade classroom, or in the actual music room with lots of space to spread out and everything like that. So let's imagine that we are working with first graders on a beat and a beat subdivision, in this case, ta and toddy. And let's say that the purpose of the activity is for our first grade musicians to arrange with a beat and a beat subdivision. Okay, so we'll start by playing the game and then we'll pull out some rhythmic building blocks and students can come up with different combinations of these sounds. So when we play the game, the typical game is a ball or another object is being passed from student to student while students are keeping that steady beat. So the ball is passed to the beat, not like hot potato kind of thing. And students are speaking the rhyme. B, B, bumblebee, stung a man upon his knee, stung a pig upon his snout. I declare that you are out. So if we have room to play the traditional game, then great, we can absolutely do that or we could adapt it. Maybe students are for this game at their desks and this teacher is pointing to each student or another first grade student is pointing to each student in a steady beat going around the room with the steady beat. Or maybe students are at their desks and on each steady beat as the beat kind of moves around the room. You can do this while a student is still pointing, but maybe um, each each student puts their hand in the air, but you have to do it right on your beat. When that beat lands on you, your hand shoots up and then goes down. And maybe it's not their hand shooting straight up in the air. Maybe all of their little bee wings are ready. And when the beat lands on you, you do one flap for your bee wings moving down and up. Or maybe all students start standing and when the beat gets to them, they sit down in their chair. There are so many ways to do this because the purpose of the activity is not that students will sit in a circle and pass a ball. So when we decide that we are going to need to make some changes for things when we are teaching on a cart, it's not that we are going to totally revamp our curriculum. We're going to take the activities that we would do in a quote unquote typical school year and we are going to reimagine 
imagine them with the purpose of the activity in mind. The purpose of the activity here has to do with steady beat. Again, because we are working on a beat and a beat subdivision. So however else we reimagine the game to BB Bumblebee, we can reimagine it with that purpose in mind. As opposed to saying, since we can't play the game how we normally play it, we just won't play it at all. And students will just sit there and pat a steady beat on their knees. Well, they could absolutely pat a steady beat on their knees. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a really, really great beat keeping activity. But there are ways to adapt the game that keep the purpose in mind. Instead of just saying, because it won't fit in these parameters the way I've always done it, I'm going to throw it out. Okay, so we are going to play the game. And just as my very last aside with this kind of game conversation, we might even walk into the classroom with two options for a game. Again, because both of them meet the purpose of the activity. So maybe we decide that students can choose. Will the class play the game where students are standing and then they sit down on the beat? Or will the class play the game where everyone flaps their arms like a bee one time when the beat lands on them? Both games are really easy to explain. We're only going to play them for a moment. So it doesn't really matter to us again, because they meet the purpose of the activity. Okay. So we have played the game. Let's move to some rhythmic building blocks. Students will speak the rhyme as you are passing out rhythmic building blocks. And, uh, you can do this. Oh, so many different ways. This is a subject for another time, but let's just say that you have a set of combinations of a beat and beat subdivision. Again, in this case, ta and toddy and each card has two beats on it. So maybe it is ta ta, maybe it is ta di ta, maybe it is ta di ta di, and maybe it is ta ta di. Students are going to get into groups of two. I would recommend groups of two or three for this age group. And they are coming up with different combinations of these rhythmic building blocks. When they have one that they like, they are going to transfer that to body percussion of their choice. So they might snap, they might clap, they could pat, or they could stamp. And so all around the room, students are working in these small groups with these rhythmic building blocks transferring to body percussion. If our goal is to arrange with a beat and beat subdivision, we have totally achieved that goal. And so in this case, it doesn't matter that they didn't transfer it to unpitched percussion. That wasn't the point. It doesn't matter that they couldn't fly around in open space while buzzing like a bee. That wasn't the point. So this activity definitely works if you can transfer to unpitched percussion, but if you don't have those instruments available to you on your cart, that doesn't stop students from engaging in the actual purpose of the activity. Okay, so that's somewhere around first grade-ish, and that is with a rhythmic um, opportunity for understanding. Let's talk about a little bit older, let's say maybe uh, second grade, maybe third grade, and let's say that we are working on a melodic understanding. For this song, let's do frog in the meadow and let's make the purpose of the activity that students are going to move to the melodic contour of a mi, re, do melody. For our purposes, this is just effectively moving to high, middle, low in a melody. And the version of Frog in the Meadow that we'll use just for the sake of everyone thinking the same thing in their head is Frog in the meadow can't get him out Take a little stick and stir him about 
So students are going to play the game. There are different variations of this, but the one I like to play and the one that I have done in a classroom setting, not a general music setting, is one student is the frog and one student is the frog catcher. The frog catcher is going to be in a different part of the room with their eyes closed. The rest of the students are making a circle. This might be like a wonky circle around some desks, but there's a way to make it work. So the frog catcher has their eyes closed, face towards the wall kind of thing. The rest of the class is walking around in a circle, singing the song, and then the frog is in the middle of the circle. That's where the frog starts. When the singing starts, that frog is going to find a place in the room to hide. So students are keeping a steady beat with their feet. They're walking around in that circle. They're singing the song and the frog has those uh, 16 beats or so to find their hiding spot and hide. When we are done with the song, the, um, the frog catcher turns around and is going to try to find the frog. So this game does work with a wonky circle, but you can also, if you have restrictions around having the whole class being moving around the room at the same time, you can have students stay behind their desk and just step that steady beat while they sing. Or if you um, don't want to do that, you can have students spin in place again behind their desk and again, keeping their feet in that steady beat. If you're in a situation where you are not singing, that's totally fine as well. You can pull out your tiny little glockenspiel and you can play the song. And then once students are familiar with the song, they can inner hear the song. And the way we will know that they are inner hearing is if they freeze on the last word or on the last beat, whichever way you want to play it. So singing is not central to this activity. Moving around the room is not central to this activity. There are ways that we can adapt the game to make it fit within these parameters because even if they are not singing this mi re do melody they can still inner hear the mi re do melody so whatever way we choose to adapt it because the purpose of the activity has to do with high middle low melodic contour mi re do in this case we are going to find a way to uh, work with that purpose even if we are adjusting how we actualize that melodic contour so we are going to sing and play some version of the game, or we are going to enter here and play some version of the game. And then you'll ask students, instead of stepping to that steady beat, could you paint that melody on your own? So we are going to start with our hand high in the air and sing. The paintbrush moves down. Oh, that's a quick paintbrush down motion. Okay, so we're going to paint the melody. Next question, could you find that way? Could you find a way to show that melody with a partner? So maybe students choose with their partner to uh, clap their hands together for the high sound. Maybe they clap their own hands right in front of them for the middle sound, and maybe they pat for the low sound. Maybe they're doing this with snapping and they start with a high snap and then a middle snap and then a snap very low on the ground. There are lots of ways to play this, but some a version of showing that melodic contour through movement. Maybe students choose not to use body percussion at all. Maybe they have a jump and then a stand and then they fall down on the floor, right? In a safe uh, classroom appropriate way. Maybe it's just a, a kneel on the floor. There are lots of ways to move to a mi re do melody. 
if students are not able to physically make contact with a partner, like they can't clap each other's hands, you can still have students turn to whatever desk is next to them. And even if there's some space apart from these students, like if they are uh, distanced (laughs) between each other in terms of the desk spacing, there's still a way with eye contact and just working with a partner that way to do the same activity. So if you are in a music classroom, like your own music classroom, you can do this activity where students are physically clapping each other's hands. So making that physical contact. But if you are not in your classroom and you're in a general music or general education classroom, there's still a way to do this exact activity, the exact purpose of the activity, moving to a mi re do melody. So going back to that resilient pedagogy framework, we are not creating an entirely new set of lesson plans for on the cart teaching. This is something that we could do in our regular classrooms with purpose, with intention, with musicality, with student choice, with uh, student creativity. And we're just finding ways to transfer that to a new set of parameters. So we have talked about a rhythmic idea with lower elementary. We have talked about a melodic idea with middle elementary. Let's look at upper elementary and let's talk about form. For this particular example, just in this case, let's use the song, a cradle song, a lullaby from Japan, Yurika Go no Uta. This is a really lovely song. If you're not familiar with it, it is Yurika Go no Uta if this is students very first time hearing this song then we can play a recording of it and discuss its origins in japan as a cradle song we can look at japan on a map this would be a really great time for students to offer any information that they might have about japan we can look at images of modern japan things like that. When we have listened to it again, we can ask students to analyze the form. If each phrase is four beats, what would we call the form of this song in this class? With the vocabulary that we use in this class, the form of the song would be A, B, C, D. And this is a characteristic of many types of uh, Japanese folk songs is that there is not much repetition in terms of sections. So we've listened, we've analyzed the form. Let's add some context. This is a lullaby. So what lullabies, fourth grade, do you know? What lullabies uh, are familiar to you in a way that this one likely is not? So adding some context there. And then let's think about how the song would be performed in the context. When we add our own ideas to it, how can we stay within that same context? Well, the answer, there's not one specific correct answer we're looking for, but likely we are going to perform our ideas quietly. They'll probably be on the gentle side. We might have, you know, if we're doing a movement activity, it might be more fluid movement instead of something really, really agile. Again, because the context is a lullaby. And then in partners, students are going to create four different sets of body percussion rhythms that match the form of the song. So in, again, in our classroom vocabulary that match A, B, C, D. So every version is different. The rhythm that we're going to use is ta di ta mi ta di mi ta di mi ta di ta mi ta di mi ta di mi. So that four beat rhythm ta di ta mi ta di mi ta di mi is going to get repeated four times. 
each time with a different set of body percussion. And those rhythms came straight from the song itself. So that's what students are working on in partners, four sets of body percussion rhythms. Students might also choose to add some movement to this as well. Like maybe some of them, they are facing each other. Maybe some of them, they are back to back. Maybe some are side to side, things like that. So it doesn't need to be necessarily strictly uh, a rhythmic focus. The point is form. And so within the parameters of form and making every set of four beats different, students have a lot of choice. All right, let's recap because this is a longer episode than I typically do. It's just there's a lot here, friends. There's a lot to talk about when we talk about teaching on a cart. We talked about some logistics. We talked about having somewhere to land. We talked about how to choose the materials in your cart. We talked about mapping your route and previewing the classrooms. And then we talked about this big, really important thing of viewing ourselves as a collaborator with teachers and um, making a smooth transition from the general ed environment to the music classroom environment. And then we talked about planning. The big thing here is that we are going to we are going to have the purpose of the fo- of the activity as our foundation. If we're ever confused, if we're ever stuck, the question is not how can I replicate a singing game when I am on a cart? How can I replicate an ORF arrangement when I am on a cart? That's not the question. The purpose is not the ORF arrangement. The purpose is the musical understanding that you wanted students to achieve through the ORF arrangement. So again, whatever the purpose of the activity. That is where we are grounded. That is our grounding, um, I don't know, our grounding question there. And then we talked about three different, very specific step-by-step examples for lower elementary and middle elementary and upper elementary, each looking at a different musical element. So rhythm, melody, and form. Part of Crystal's question was about resources, where to go for ideas when you find out you are teaching on a cart. So let's zoom through some resources before we wrap up. The first one is just to ask colleagues in your district. Again, many educators were carters this year. They were the first time music teaching on a cart, and that gives them, specifically the people in your district, a lot of insight into how things might run and how they might run for you. Next, there is a blog that has been around for a really long time. This is a solid resource called musiconacart.com. And this is just a really robust collection of articles and very helpful tips. Uh, So please check out musiconacart.com. There's also a book called Music a la Carte. And that uh, the link that I have in the show notes is from West Music. This book is about $30 and I have not read it, but I have read the description and it looks very practical. They have a good uh, collection of authors and contributors here. So I would recommend checking that out just based on the authors and the description for um, this resource. And then the last one is a blog post is called the ABCs of navigating music on a cart by Danielle Ingram. So four resources there, asking colleagues in your district, there's the blog, um, the blog musiconacart.com. There is a book music a la carte, and then a specific article, ABCs of navigating music on a cart. And all of those links are in the show notes. I want to reiterate that for whatever it is worth, I have complete confidence that you can achieve so, so much 
this year on a cart or these few months on a cart or however long it lasts, I have complete confidence that you have the musicianship and the pedagogy skills and the creativity and the resilience to thrive on a cart. Many people actually find that they enjoy teaching on a cart, and my understanding of this perspective, it is very similar to how some people feel about not having kids, but still liking to have friends who have kids. So you go over and you hold the baby and you play with the little kids, but then when it's time to hand them back, you get to go to your clean, quiet house where nothing is ever too noisy or overwhelming, everything stays clean, but you still get that experience of hanging out with your friends' kids. It is a very similar situation to teaching on a cart. You show up in the classroom, but then when you leave, there's not a mess in your classroom. There's nothing to clean up. You've left all of the students, all of the everything inside someone else's space. So there is that perspective out there. And so I want to make sure that that gets represented. Many people enjoy teaching on a cart, not just for the uh, natural separation, like the healthy boundary that it creates between you and the students. Again, a healthy boundary of, of distance because they're not in your physical per, um, personal space but also for the relationships that you can build with colleagues and the cross-curricular opportunities that can come when you are on a cart. So I do not want to paint this as sunshine and roses. I want you to absolutely take time to grieve and be disappointed and be frustrated with this situation as, as you want to be grieving and disappointed and frustrated. But when you're ready to move out of that phase, you might notice that there are some unique opportunities to teaching on a cart that you are not afforded or you are not at least afforded as easily inside your own physical classroom. Again, you can do this. You have the creativity and you have the resilience and you have the musicianship and you have the pedagogy skills to really thrive in this environment. This podcast is called Elemental Conversations, and I started it because I was enjoying some of the conversations I got to have with colleagues on Instagram, but that platform is pretty limited in terms of how much space, how much time I could take up with each topic. And so that's where this podcast came from. I want to extend this conversation. And so to that end, I would love to hear your thoughts on what we talked about today. If you click the link in your show notes, you'll be taken to a specific page for this podcast episode. And on that page, there's a spot for you to add comments. That's where you can add your own thoughts. You can add your own opinions about this topic, or you could add any follow-up questions that you are still kind of thinking through in the back of your mind. So since this podcast is Elemental Conversations, I would love for you to click that link in the show notes and continue the conversation there. Thanks.